Hello and welcome to the show. Today we're going to handle the final part of the conversation on business um, strategy, whether you should have a DIY approach, um, you know, just focus on tactics from the day to day, or whether you need to take a structured approach where you sit down and um, you know, try and plan everything out from the get-go. Now, is, uh, is business strategy necessary? Because there are some people who just wake up, this is a good idea, and then you get about um, just trying to make it work. And in fact, I have tried to do business with some uh, people like that in the past, uh, some folks that thought it would be nice to come up with uh, business courses. And you know, I just wanted us to think through things a little bit um uh, what might sell, what might not sell, what are the cues we're receiving from the market, uh, what do we think might be profitable and not, how best we go about it. But they just wanted to hit the ground um, uh, running. So yes, there are those folks who say, you know what, I've woken up, it's a good idea, let me get going. And there's some people who are like, uh, guy, calm down, lady, calm down, let's 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 think about this, let's come about the best way to go about this. Now, is strategy absolutely necessary? Now, in a certain sense, I would say uh, yes. Because there are people who have just gotten up and tried to make something work and then from there you end up building uh, something brilliant as time goes along. But I'll say for most people, yes, strategy is necessary because the average person is going to waste time rambling and going from this thing to that thing to another, even when uh, something might have been working you know, or, or not. You know, If you don't have um, any well thought out uh, strategy or um, execution um, framework, so I'd say for most people, yes, some sort of um, strategy is necessary. Do you have to sit in the boardroom and then call investors and business partners and things like that? You know, maybe not. I guess it's okay to just wake up in the middle of the night and then uh, talk to your uh, wife, your spouse and say, oh, you know what, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that. Or you call up your brother or your sister or talk to your uncle and auntie. So sometimes maybe that's the level of um, the beginning of the level of strategy um, that you need. But we all need to engage in these sorts of exercises from time to time. Now, the next question, can all strategy be planned? And the answer to that is no. The reason why is because we're human and nobody has absolute foresight. You have no idea about how things are going to um, uh, turn about concerning your wonderful uh, business idea. There are some people that have come up with uh, business ideas that involved um, lots of human interaction, but there was no way that people could have um, foresaw uh, uh, what was uh, COVID a couple of years ago, and that trashed lots of business ideas. And um, in fact, there are people who had brilliant ideas for restaurant chains and things like that that just happened to be opening at the wrong time. So there is very little... Um, there's no, nobody has absolute foresight, so not all strategy can be planned. Some strategy is reactionary or emergent um, strategy. Emergent strategy is what happens when you have a business plan, you have an idea, you try and go into the market, but then you get some feedback from stakeholders or customers, you hit some hiccups, you make some mistakes or whatever. But the bottom line is this, as you're interacting with uh, people and other forces on the ground, on the day-to-day implementation, you get some ideas that kind of hint on um, whether you should try things one way or try things um, another way. Now, can sales and business development inform strategy? A crucial question that we have to tackle because after all, on this podcast, our primary preoccupation is with sales and business development because that's my area of specialty. And the answer is yes. 
Now, the reason why sales can help inform your business strategy is because salespeople are the ones who own the customer relationship. They're the ones who are interacting with the customers every day. They're the ones who know firsthand what's going on uh, with market trends and things like that. So if you sell human hair and your corporation is in Lagos, uh, there's a limit to how much you can know unless you're talking to the people who are actually on the streets, people who are trying to hawk their hair in uh, university campuses or stores and things like that. They're the ones who are going to know what the actual um, trends are. They will get those um, feelers first before you do in headquarters. So salespeople often have uh, get a sense of what the current actual market trends are. And um, from sales activities, it's able to expose the assumptions that people have when we're coming up with um, strategy um, documents. And then uh, from that whole interaction between salespeople and the market, uh, whether it's they're interacting with actual customers or with distributors or whatever, you can now discover more workable or more um, feasible solutions to whatever business problems um, that you have. So my recommendation for the future, for those of you who are building um, big businesses, you're no longer a, a one-man show, a one-woman show. My opinion, uh, talk to your sales folks. You need to talk to the boys and to the girls. You need to figure out what's moving, what's not moving. Uh, this one is moving. Why is it moving? This one is not moving. Why is it not moving? need to gather input from them to figure out what's working, what's not. You'll get you a sense of what to improve and what not to improve. Now, some of you might think that all of this is unnecessary, uh, unnecessarily um, theoretical. This whole thing of whether to have a strategic approach or whether to do it, um, you know, tactical, you know, day by day. But actually, it's not. Now, let me give you a fictional example. Now, this example is not entirely fictional because there is a business that is similar to this in real life. So let's say we have a fictional business and we're going to call it Amala Palace. For those of you who are not Nigerian, Amala is a local, um, should I say cuisine? Okay, no, cuisine, that's too fancy. It's, um, it's a kind of meal. It's made out of uh, yam, uh, what let's say? Uh, it's made from the, the skin of yam or it can be made from um, these things, not corn. Uh, what do you call it? Is it millet? Yeah, millet. Millet looks like corn. Different kind of... Um, are there varieties of maize? Well, anyway, that's where you make uh, amala from, basically. So you take it, you make it into a nice uh, thick paste, and then you eat it with soup, uh, pretty much. So um, that's it. I'll say it's similar to... Uh, what's it called? Uh, okay, let me see. Americans. Is it tapioca? Okay, yeah, I'll say similar to tapioca, I think. Uh, that's my guess. It's the closest thing I can come up with. So let's say... Someone wants to set up this business in Abuja called Amala Palace. And the idea is to compete with um, several kinds of establishment that are already on ground. Because in Abuja here, we have um, a place called Ojure Legba. Uh, Ojure Legba, not in Lagos, but in uh, Guarimpa in Abuja, where they sell uh, Amala and, you know, Swallow. So uh, Amala, pounded yam, stuff like that. I mean, that's the joint. You want pounded yam, you want hot Amala with good soup and fish and everything. That's where you go. Then there's also Iya Oyo. Yaoyo is in um, it's in Abuja. It's uh, let me say Utaku. I can't remember what that part of town is called, but it's close to Utaku. So it's in 
Utako, um, and it's the same sort of thing, but uh, unlike Kojuelek, but you can also get rice and beans there in Iaoyo. Then there's also uh, Javanik. Javanik is much more upscale. That one is in um, Gariki. Okay, maybe not upscale, but I mean, you know what I mean. There's air conditioning, there's TV, so you don't have um, flies and maybe um, somebody's cat walking through uh, the eating area. So, uh -huh. so let's say you come with Amala Palace and you want to compete with these sorts of places and the idea is that you're trying to look for affluent customers because people who go to a Jure Legba, it's a nice eating experience but the people are there for the food they're not there to form you know and the same thing with Iao your people are there for the food so whether people who drive Mercedes Benzes or people who buy simple Toyotas people come there for the food they're not really they're not they're not about forming uh, there's no um, social signaling no social jostling or things like that and it's the same thing with Jevenik. People go there for the food, nothing else. But maybe you think, you know, we can make a market for this thing where cute guys and cute girls come and they eat Amala uh, in a nice place. Let's get affluent customers, you know, things like that. And then for Amala Palace, they decide to invest in ingredients and to invest in ambience and to invest in marketing and then um, all of that. And let's say they do start the business and then they receive some positive reviews, but then... Uh, it turns out that they actually is, you know, they have a small clientele base. Maybe not many people want to pay for exclusive uh, fine dining Amala experience. Maybe it turns out that it's sort of like a um, niche market. Maybe what happens is that people who really want to eat Amala just go to Ojo Legba. They go to Iaoyo or they go to Jevenik. So... But the thing is, all might not be lost because if they have interactions with the customer-facing staff, that's the people who own Amala Palace, they might discover that uh, they're doing not too bad, but that is because there is a surge for delivery orders. So let's say you set this place up in Gariki and people who are coming in for fine Amala dining experience are not many, but maybe the people who work in Zenith Bank, um, not far from there, let's say you pick a, a place next to Jevenik, uh, Germany King Garaki. So there's, uh, I think there's Zenith Bank close. I think there's Access Bank. There's an MTN office. Okay, no, not Access Bank. Um, anyway, you get the point. So maybe you have office staff and they're placing orders. So dining experience, this thing is not working. But delivery orders might seem to be working. So this might now inform the new corporate strategy. They might have to reorder the website, uh, change the menu, try and highlight all the ordering um, promotions, try and target it towards busy professionals and people who have families instead of trying to market to cute guys and cute girls who want to form and go and sit down and eat um, uh, fancy Amala with uh, French-sounding names. And maybe they might now hire more couriers, you know, more um, bike uh, people to um, deliver. Then um, that might lead to an uh, increase in overall revenue. So this is a fictional example about how Paying attention to the frontline staff, people who have customer interactions and people who have um, responsibility for sales can inform the business strategy that you have. Now, like I said, this is purely fictional, but it's kind of similar to a company that I know in real life. The lady, northern lady, has opened up the business and the whole point of the restaurant is, well, is it really a restaurant? I'm not even sure how to describe the place. Well, the whole point of the place is this. People are supposed to come here. It's supposed to be an exclusive environment. You call in to um, uh, to have a dining experience, you know, you and your guests, you know, things like that. So it's kind of open to the public, but it's not really open to the public because, like, if you know, you know, and then you, you call in. So that's the idea. Now, they have a busy kitchen. 
The kitchen is always busy. People are cooking late into the night. But it is not because people are coming in for this exclusive treatment. Like, hey, you know what? Uh, Hajia, uh, how you day? Please reserve a space. I'm coming in with 20 people. It's busy because people are placing lots of orders. They're calling in to say, uh, cook for 20, send it here. Cook for this place, send it there. So for that business owner or any business owner like her who is in this kind of situation, you now have a choice to make. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep this place open to try and see how you can run this um, this um, exclusive dining experience? Why are you just going to give up and say, look, the kitchen is already busy because we have lots of orders. So let's just double down and let's see how many orders we can get out um, every day. So these are the sorts of questions that people, um, practical, you can see it's not theoretical, even though my Amala or whatever is fictional. You can see that these are practical questions that business owners face every day. So yes, wake up in the morning, talk to your uh, your partner, uh, talk to your husband, to your wife, talk to your family members, uh, talk to your banker, talk to your coach, and try and figure out what the business strategy is. But then also pay attention to what's happening on the ground. Sometimes what's happening on the ground might be a sign that, you know what, I thought things would go this way, but actual demand is going um, this other way. So that's all for today, folks. Remember to connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is Tavishima Agede. I'm the host of the podcast. You can confirm the spelling of my name from the link where you're currently listening to this episode. Also, connect with me on WhatsApp. The phone number is 080-6466-2140. And the country code is plus 234. Thanks for your time and attention. I'll catch you guys at the next episode.